0: Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. So, I am going to attempt to move pretty quickly through the older material that you guys have been hearing me talk about for the last two weeks, but I want to say it's important that we review. All right, I know this is not a classroom, but in a sense, it very much is. All right, so it's important that we review because some of the subject matter that I've been presenting to you over the past couple of weeks is quite dense. All right. And it deserves a thorough study and consistent reminders so that we don't just get it in our heads, but that we get it down deep in our heart so that we're not just confessing doctrine with our lips, but the culture of the kingdom of heaven has truly taken up residence in our spirits so that as we recognize everything that the world offers us, we can say, no thanks. I've got something better. So. Whenever we talk about all of the good things that God offers us, I believe that it's also important for us to also refer to the things that the world is offering so that you're not only aware of what God says, but you're aware of where the enemy is attempting to push you. Okay. So that's why we have been talking about the traditional identity. How many of you guys have identified with the traditional identity a little bit? Some of you guys, I identify with the traditional identity a little bit. Uh, the house I grew up in, uh, my grandfather was like a military man. He wasn't actually, but the way he ran his house was like that. So my dad was a little bit like that. Now he's so full of grace. He's just been transformed over the years. You know, he's a big softy now. When I was a kid, man, he was, he was a hard charger. Uh, how many of you guys identify a lot with the modern identity? And I have been stepping on your toes See, there's more than, of you than that. And I understand you're embarrassed to raise your hand. But listen, I'm going to raise my other hand because there's a big part of me that's like, okay, yep, modern identity. And, um, and then we're now talking about the gospel identity and we're driving this home this week, okay? So let's review a little bit. Why are we even talking about identity? Because as Christians, if you're a Christian, say that's me. That's me. We must consistently teach and talk about our God-given identity identity. Because our culture, every culture, doesn't matter if you're from the states, it doesn't matter if you're from another country, every single culture is actively imposing an identity process upon you. And this is happening and has always happened without our permission and very likely without our awareness. You must understand, church, that we are not being asked to vote by culture, whether or not we want to have a modern identity or a gospel identity. We are simply given this script, we're handed it because we have been born into a cultural context where the modern identity is built up. up. And in many ways, the gospel identity is torn down. Would you guys agree? And so I want us to be very mindful of that because in order for us to walk out our gospel identity, we've got to be intentional about choosing it And we've also got to be intentional about flushing the other stuff, right? And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But let's define a couple of terms. What is identity? Just in case you're taking notes and you haven't written this down yet. Identity is your sense of self and your sense of worth. So that's your sense of self and your sense of worth. Essentially, your identity is what you look for for security and significance. Okay, that's what your identity is. It's what you look to for security and significance. Security is what you trust most and significance is what you value most. Okay? Security is what you trust most and significance is what you value most. So your identity comes from what you live for and your value comes from your success in what you live for. Let me say that again. Your identity comes from what you live for, but your value comes from your success in what you live for, okay? So an identity process, another key term I want to define, an identity formation process that provides you a sense of self and a sense of value. This starts when we are very, very young And we are indoctrinated, and it could be unintentionally, but we are indoctrinated by stories. We are indoctrinated by music. We are indoctrinated by different cultural offerings that form and shape us and put us in this process to produce in us a modern identity that fits the predominant narrative of our culture. Right? That's a mouthful, wasn't it? Do you guys feel like you're in college right now? So we all use a script that comes to us from somewhere. If we are not aware of the script we've received from culture, we'll read from it without knowing that we are. And we'll say things like, I'm finding my good, I'm living my dream, and you'll say all these type things. But what you've got to do and what we're trying to do here is to take a few steps back and to really consider... Is that that what God would have us do? Or does God have an upgrade available? And I'm gonna tell you right now, God has an upgrade available. Romans chapter 12, verse two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Just a reminder. (laughs) Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You cannot become more like Jesus while being conformed to the pattern of this world. If you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to become more like Jesus, you must be looking at Jesus more than you're looking at the world. You must be, you must pay more attention to Jesus than you do anything else the world is offering. You must be more focused. You must have all of your affections directed toward the man, Christ Jesus, more than that of the world. To become transformed more into his image. That within itself is a process. Amen? It's a journey. We live in a modern context, so I don't want you to get bent out of shape as we talk about this and think, I've not done it. I'm failing. We all fail in this, okay? It's impossible for anybody that lives in America today to be 100% I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, to be 100% completely formed and shaped by a gospel identity, because we live in a modern identity context. So we're all going to be affected by it, whether we like it or not. And that's exactly why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, he said, "...put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires." Paul was not talking to lost people that did not know Jesus as their Savior. Paul was talking to Christian peoples. So what was he implying? He was implying that, hey, Church of Ephesus, fill in the blank, Church of Nashville, Legacy Nashville, put off the old self. There's a a maturation, there's a sanctification process as we journey with Jesus and the Holy Spirit so that we're transformed day by day, becoming more like Him through relationship with Him. So that's what Paul here is encouraging us to do. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Right? The dead man. Right? Stop trying to resurrect zombies. (laughs) Right? and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Somebody say, I am a new creation. That's who you are. That's part of your identity. Created, how? After the likeness of God. You should be impressed with yourself. I have been created after the likeness of God. That means whenever God chose to shape, form, and fashion you, he looked at himself as a model. That ought to encourage you. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and. Now there's a there's a cuss word, isn't it? In culture today in righteousness and holiness. And this is the most wonderful thing about the gospel identity is it says I am supposed to be holy. I'm supposed to be righteous. I'm supposed to be good, but there's no way I can do it. I need someone else to do it for me. That's the only way that you become righteous. The only way that you become holy is that you are completely dependent upon the person of Jesus and the finished work of the cross and the righteousness of his sinless blood so that you can walk in the purity of his holiness. Friends, that is the gospel that Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. Is anybody else excited about this at 9.57 a.m.? is that you get to put all those works aside and you get to receive, not achieve, the finished work of Jesus and say, I have a stable and secure identity. Not because I'm so great, but because I received the reward of the greatest one. And his name is Jesus. He saved me, he set me free from my old self. He's given me the Holy Spirit so I have the grace to day in and day out put off the old self and to put on the new self, right? Which is a renewal of the spirit of my mind. That means I'm being transformed from the inside out as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit so that I could be righteous and holy. Wow. Let's go. One more key term, and that is identity factors. And this is important today, church. Identity factors, the various necessary roles that we have in life that inform who we are. Notice I said inform, they inform us, we don't idolize them. Let me say that again. They inform us of who we are, but we do not idolize them. What are those things? They are our gender our ethnicity, our age, our career, our politics. Oh, we're hitting some hot button issues right now and etc. All of those things can inform me of who I am, but I don't idolize any of those things. You know why? Because when all of my identity factors get in line and I gauge where I get my value from, my top spot is reserved. It's VIP seating, velvet rope only. Jesus sits right there. So my primary and supreme identity uh, factor is the person of Jesus. And then Jesus reorders all of the other things. He doesn't demolish them. He just demotes them, which is why I can be a male Christian, which is why I can be a Caucasian Christian. Or you could be an African Christian or an Asian Christian or a black Christian or whatever that you actually are. I can be a, you know, 36-year-old Christian. I can be a professional Christian because that's what the world considers me to be, but I am not, okay? I'm not. I can be a, a registered independent or I can be a registered Democrat or I can be a registered Republican and I can vote in any particular way. And none of those things, none of those things have the power or the authority to inform me as to who I am. Jesus sits in the top spot. All those other things can be there as part of the person that I am, but none of those things reign supreme in my life. And because Jesus sits at a top of my identity factors, I have four remarkable aspects of the gospel identity that are held in place. This is a review, but if you weren't here last week, this is oh so good. Number one is this, a coexistence of boldness and humility. That's the first thing that you'll have. Any identity that is based upon performance and achievement will allow you to feel very confident and very bold anytime you do well. But you know what you will not be? Humble. And in fact, you'll poke fun at everybody else that doesn't perform or achieve. Right. And on the other hand, if you consistently do not live up to the standards, you will be humble, but you will not be bold. And then you'll overly sympathize with other people that often do not live up to the standards. And then you, you huddle in, in that crew. And then in some way you vilify uh, those that push to live up to them. Wow. So there's this polarization. And in a gospel identity, we can actually achieve not through our own good works, but through the finished work of the cross, both. We get to be confident and humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek, right? So Jesus himself exalts humility, but then all throughout the scripture, Bible actually encourages us to boast, but not boast in ourselves, but to boast in our God. Our supreme identity factor. The Bible has no problems with you having great confidence, particularly in God. But the Bible does have a problem with you having great ego. Number two is a healthy approach to emotions. The traditional identity says, stuff your emotions, kill your emotions, become a stoic. Right? But then the modern identity says, my emotions are king. I live by my, my emotions, my feelings, my feelings, my feelings. How dare you hurt my feelings? Some people have feelings in the top identity spot so that when you hurt their feelings, their personhood falls apart. So you're no longer disagreeing with a perspective. You're disagreeing with their person. And that right there is actually the modern identity at work because the modern identity is so fragile, it cannot handle anybody disagreeing with them. Wow. Click on, turn on the news after this and modern identity, modern identity, modern identity. Modern, you know, it's like, I'm sure not everybody, but by and large, that's probably what you're going to see. And so with, uh, with the gospel identity, we can do both. Uh, number three is cultural flexibility um the gospel identity is complex and flexible, which is great because it is not culturally exclusive and it is and, and it's not rigid. Yeah. So that means that it can exist in any particular context all over planet Earth. If you look at where all of... Um, um, uh, Muslim people are, it's in one particular place for the most part in the world. If you look at where Hindu people are, it's in one particular place in the world for the most part. But if you look at where all the Christians are on a map, they're just all over the place. You know why? Because there's something about gospel identity that's uniquely different than modern identity or traditional identity. And that is that it's culturally flexible, is that it, all of those identity factors that I mentioned, Jesus doesn't come and just destroy all those. He just demotes them. So then that way you're flexible in any particular environment that you find yourself in. Because you still get to function as yourself in many, many ways. It's just that top spot is occupied by Jesus. So you can, you know, you can be any type of Christian, still shine the light of love in whatever context you find yourself in. And Jesus doesn't doesn't require you to join a cult. That is totalitarian in its essence of now you have to dress like this. You have to cut your hair like this. You, now you have to shave like this. Now you have to wear a dress like this. Now you have to, you know, or you can't cut your hair like this. Or you, you know, or you have to live in this spot. Or you have to be a vegan. Or you have to be, you know, or you have to eat carnivore. Okay, I'm not trying to vilify the vegans, all right? <laughs> It probably helps some of us to do a little stint of veganism. That's all I'm saying. You know, maybe not. You know, ask. Erin is here. She's a nutritionist. Also, Sarah Cotton is here somewhere. You ask them. Fourth point is this. Openness to difference. The gospel identity is unique in that it is open, open to the difference of others, even those who oppose you. So when your identity is based upon any identity factors other than the supremacy of Jesus, you're going to look down on other people that don't have those same identity factors. You're going to say, I don't like those people. I don't like Republicans. I don't like Democrats. I don't like conservatives. I don't like liberals. I don't like White people. I don't like black people. This is what's happening in our world today, right now. Do you guys see this? It's because we got a whole lot of people that have uh, the top spot in the list of their identity factors, the very thing that pushes them to the edge to vilify and demonize the other, other side. That's, what, that's what's happening. Okay? But if we put Jesus in the top spot, it, it just doesn't, it does, we're just so flexible. And you can be different than me and it doesn't even matter. We can hold conversation because you're not affecting my identity by disagreeing with my politics. It's like, it doesn't actually matter. I'm not getting value from my political affiliations. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe a little bit here and there. I feel proud to be American or, you know, I feel proud to be a Filipino or I feel proud to be Japanese or whatever. All that is fine. Just to, you can't have it in the top spot. Because when it, when, it, when it goes to the top spot, everybody that doesn't have that thing, oh, they get demonized real fast. They're stupid. They're wrong. They're terrible. They're unhealthy. You start saying these things that sound really good, like they're spiritual catchphrases, but you're putting labels on people and you're not operating in love. And really, at the end of the day, it's not that you don't know how to talk right; it's that you're insecure in who you are. Yeah. I, dang, I'm not trying to be mean. Y'all, y'all, like, everybody's like, "Oh, I'm, oh, okay, I'm sorry." But that's the truth. It's insecurity. Listen, if it burns your biscuits, like when somebody you know says something opposite of your political perspective, and you are just You are messed up the rest of the day. Jesus might not be in the top spot. That's all I'm saying. I don't care what side you're on. Okay, doesn't matter. If it just infuriates you and you just, you are fragmenting. See, that's what the modern identity does. It fragments. It fragments. And and it's so comfortable with alienating people. You know why? Because the modern identity is radically individualistic. So it's all about me. And if you don't do what I want you to do to assage my belief about myself in this season, which is determined on how I feel today, then I will break up with you. I will walk away from you. I will divorce you. Right? That's what that, that's it. So what we need, church, is we need a stable, strong, secure identity in the person of Jesus that says, I cannot be moved. I cannot be shaken. I will not fragment. You can't cut me in half. It ain't going to happen. You know why? Because I have Jesus as my foundation. He's in the supreme place of all of my identity factors. And this is how I live now because I'm a Christian. All right. So remember to boast properly, all right? Boast, but boast in the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what Jesus said when the disciples came back and it's like, even the demons submit to us. He's like, whoa. (laughs) Boasting in the wrong thing, Peter. Boasting in the wrong thing, John. Don't boast in your spiritual authority. Don't boast in your great anointing. Don't boast in your great talents. Don't boast in your great fame. Don't boast in your great influence. Don't boast in your great wealth. You want to boast? Boast in this. I seek to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we should be boasting in. So any identity, this is new material now. I'm going to try to move through because I do have some points. Any identity that must be achieved is insecure. It stays stable as long as you continue to achieve. A gospel identity, however, is received, not achieved. A gospel identity is completely secure. You know why? Because your performance doesn't hold it together. God's love holds it together on your behalf. Doesn't it feel great? knowing you have a stable identity in Jesus Christ. A stable identity in God's love. But can I tell you, church, and I, I, I did not mean to roast you in the introduction. It happened, all right? And I'm sorry. I'm not, really. I say that, I'm not. I'm not. But can I, it's important that I say this. Just because you have a gospel identity, does not make you a better person than anyone else. Let me say this. I'm going to go a step further. It could ruffle some feathers. But just because you are a Christian does not necessarily make you more moral than a non-Christian. Because you know what a gospel identity does not do? A gospel identity never provides fuel for comparison. Never. Just because we are Christians does not mean that we have the right to suppose that we're better than other people. Particularly non-believers. Particularly modern identity people. Particularly secular people. But you know what is so good at that? Religion. so much better than you because I'm a Christian. No, you're religious. And we're going to dive into this just a little bit deeper. Is that okay? Yes. So you, you may be a Christian and if you're not today, we'll give you that opportunity here in just a minute. You may be a Christian, but a secular person may actually be more moral than you are. They may have a better marriage than you. I know. It is offensive, isn't it? But it's true because the divorce rate in the church is the same as it is in the world. Okay? So don't be judgy. Don't be judgy. All right? Dang, it's going a little bit different than I thought it would be. Um, listen, a secular person, a non believer, may be a better parent than you, they may be a better business person than you they may have more self-control than you. In many ways, someone with a modern identity could potentially be better than you. But here's what we need to remember as Christians. We are not saved by any of those things. Just because you are a Christian does not give you any grounds to feel superior to anybody else. You should not ever try and bolster your self worth by saying, At least I'm not like them. That is the traditional identity wrapped up in a Christian confession. That's all it is. At least I'm not like them. Dad, I stayed here at the house. They ran away with the inheritance, they squandered it. Look at me, I've been in the house the whole time, I've been serving, I've been doing everything been working hard, never missed a day, got up early. No, no, you're operating from the same spirit. It's just dressed up in religious clothing. You're not actually connected to the Father's heart. You're just doing everything that you can through morality to impress Him so that you can stay blessed. This really is going over different than I thought it would. Listen, none of these things embody a gospel identity church. When any one of your identity factors causes you to despise other people, then Jesus is not at the top. Yeah. I'm just to be honest with you. You guys remember in John chapter 13, whenever um, when Jesus told his disciples, he said, all of you are going to fall away. You remember that? Like John 13, they're in the garden, you know, they're getting ready. Uh, Jesus is getting ready to be illegally kidnapped and crucified. And, you know, he tells his disciples, all of you guys are going to fall away. And, and what does Peter do? Uh, not me, Lord. Not me. The rest of these losers might. <laughs> They're not as anointed as I am. They're not as dynamic as I am. They're not as sold out as I am. They're not as grounded as I am. They're not as passionate as I am. They don't know who they are. I know who I am. I know who I am. So, no, I'm not going to be leaving you. And then, of course, Jesus corrects Peter. And he said, no, no, you're going to be leaving too, boss. (laughs) (laughs) I know you think you're a stud and all that. But before you hear the rooster crow three times or rooster crow once, you're going to deny me three times. So that, that, uh, that identity that you think you have will be very fragile right. by sunrise. Right. So, uh, you know, of course, what happens? We see the crowd, they come, and then Judah betrays Jesus with a kiss. And then uh, there's this guy, I believe his name is uh, Calmus. I think that's his name. And, uh, and Peter grabs a sword and he chops off his ear. You guys remember this? Because Peter thought that he had a gospel identity, but in fact, he had a traditional identity. Peter's identity was not based on Jesus's love for him. Peter's identity was based in his love for Jesus. Selah. really, that means pause and think about it. Like, really pause and think about it. Peter thought he had a gospel identity, but here was the basis of his his identity. His identity was found in his great love for God. I'm sold out. I never miss a Sunday. I tithe every week. I serve on Welcome Home. No, no, better, I'm serving kids. I'm sold out. Yeah. I do daily devotion. I post a scripture every morning, right? His identity was anchored in his great love for God. And that's where he got it twisted. Instead of his identity being placed in God's great love for him. See, that's the difference in a gospel identity and a traditional identity. Traditional identity says, oh, here's where I, this, this is the top spot. My great love for God. I'm a Jesus lover. I'm sold out. I'm passionate. I build the church, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank, rather than God builds me. Jesus loves me. God's great love for me. His goodness leads me to repentance. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. Even when I'm at my worst, he's still at his best. See, that right there is a stable identity. It's a strong identity because it's not based upon your achievement, your performance, your dedication or anything that you think that sets you apart from the crowd of other people that don't seem to love God like you love God. If your identity is based on your commitment to Jesus rather than his loving commitment to you, you've yet to fully realize gospel identity. Did I have that on the screen? If your identity is based on your commitment to Jesus rather than his loving commitment to you, you've yet to fully realize gospel identity. How's that for the, that's the one point. If you get nothing else, just get that today. The identity factor that holds the top spot in your heart any aside from Jesus is the thing where you'll have the most blind spots. Which is why Peter had made his identity on bravery. I will stand up for you. I will speak up for you. His identity was found in his bravery, which is why when Jesus addressed his cowardice, he couldn't see it. Whenever someone tries to address a blind spot in your life, You will never see it if it's where you get your identity from most. And that is worth considering when somebody says, hey, can I give you some feedback? Hey, have you ever thought that maybe? You're thinking about that wrong. How do you respond to that? I don't see that. I don't feel that. God hasn't said that. Well, that's why it's called a blind spot. You don't see it. (laughs) You need someone else to say it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Right? And that's what Jesus did for Peter. So we must have Jesus in the top spot so that we can be completely secure in God's love in Jesus. To have your identity based on anything else will eventually lead to a traumatized life of blindness and you'll become hostile towards anyone else that does not hold your highest commitments. Peter became hostile towards the high priest assistant because he did not hold that identity factor in the top spot, which was great love for Christ. So what did Peter do in response? He chopped off his ear. And we have a whole lot of Christians. We're, we 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 have a Christian confession. We have a Christian creed. We go to church, right? But because Jesus is not actually in that supreme top spot, we're running around chopping people's ear off with the sword. What does God say the sword is? The Bible. The word of God. <laughs> so what are we doing rather than display stability and security, despite shaking and turbulent times anchored in Jesus's love for me. Instead, we run around parading our great love for God. And then in hostility, chopping everybody's ears off with the Bible. enough on that. So here's a few points on how to enhance your gospel identity. Let me give you some practical takeaways today so that you can take notes and put these into practice. All right. So Paul illuminates that process in the passage of scripture that we read today, Ephesians chapter four, put off the old self. So there's some things that you need to do to do what Paul is asking you to do. Put off the old self. Okay. Okay which belongs to your former manner of life and be renewed by the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. So there is a process. There is a practice. Everybody say practice. There are Christian practices. Do you know this? There are Christian practices and we, we deploy these day in and day out for a purpose, which is to consistently take off all of the clothes that culture is telling us to wear and put on all of the clothes that God has given us freely in Christ Jesus. You you get what I'm saying? And that is a consistent practice. And if you ever think that you can dip out on your Christian practices and that that uh, renewed self is going to stay on display and that's what you're going to live from, let me tell you right now, lovingly as I can, it ain't going to happen. Here's what will happen. You will keep a Christian confession, but you will have a modern identity and you will have a modern culture that is rooted and grounded in your spirit. So you'll say Christian things, but you won't actually believe that true biblical Christianity is possible. Because you'll read the Bible and you'll hear about loving people who persecute you. You'll read the Bible and you'll hear about food multiplication You'll read the Bible and you'll hear about the dead being raised. You'll read the Bible and you'll hear about revival. You'll read the Bible and you'll hear about holiness. And you'll say, none of that is actually really possible. You won't say it publicly, but that's what you'll think in your heart. Because you've been so shaped by a modern identity, the culture has your heart, but Bible has your head. And I think this is actually the most dangerous position that we can find ourselves in the midst of the season that we're currently in. And I think it's very dangerous for our legacy and I'm not talking about the church but for the salvation of the next generation so that our ceiling can be their floor and they can take this thing to the next level for the renewal of the nations. We need to have more than a confession. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds day in and day out, putting on the new self so we can live from that. So as we go through life, Catch yourself living out of old identities. Give yourself permission. Just say, nope, that's not who I am. And, and shift it and say, this is who I am. And here's how you develop that. This is not a point. It's, it's an it's a, it's a introductory point to the points. I didn't make it a point on purpose because I just thought, yeah, it's a little bit ethereal. But immerse yourself in some of the following themes in Scripture. Get a highlighter when you read your Bible in the morning. Highlight things anytime it's like, I am an image bearer. Yeah. When, when, when God tells you that you bear his image, highlight it. This was a big part of Dr. Martin Luther King's sermons. He talked consistently about being an image bearer. Identity, right, which led to reformation. It changed It pulled a lot of people's stuff out of the top spot and put Jesus in it. There's a lot of social change that can happen when we discover who we are. Highlight these things. I am adopted. I'm adopted. I'm a part of a family. Highlight these things. I have a high calling. I've I've been prepared in advance for great works through Christ Jesus. And then highlight these things a lot. I am a disciple, right? In an age in which everybody talks about, and I found myself. I did the whole eat, pray, love thing. And I found myself. I went to India and I found myself after I talked to a guru. No, you may have gotten demonized, but you did not find yourself. I I, I went to Italy and I ate a bunch of pasta and drank red wine and I found myself. All right. Well, you can do all that. That's fine. You do that. That'd be good. That's much better than the guru in India. But Jesus says, here's how you find yourself. You lose yourself. (laughs) So highlight that in the scripture. You want to find yourself, lose yourself. You want to wake up and live in who you really are, die. So here's the points. Oh, snap. I have to say something else. I have a slide for it though. We, we enhance our gospel identity through Christian practices and this is how the world, this is how the world provides a modern identity, okay? You gotta know this, you gotta get this. Are we good? Yeah. is because Allie came up and put us in Swirltown, USA. Are you distracted? Okay, stay with us. So number one, imagination. This is how cultural identity shapes who you are. Number one is imagination. This is music, stories, and images. These capture your heart, okay? Number two is attention. What captures your focus repeatedly, okay? This is how you get shaped. Wake up. All right, I'm, I'm saying that in love. Wake up, Christian people, okay? Number three, community. You become like the people you hang with, especially those that you admire. Okay, so if there's any one thing that is overlapping consistently in these three areas, it's probably where you're getting the bulk of your identity from. Okay, the world captures our imagination, our attention, and provides community quite often through one particular thing that I have to bring up, and it is social media. Wouldn't be a message if I didn't talk about social media, huh? You know, there are some Benedictine monks that. pray the psalms every single week there's 150 psalms in your bible and these benedictine mon- monks they pray every psalm every week and the reason they do that is because they do it seven times a day and what happens the psalms shape them they form them they they fashion them what do you do at least seven times a day and one and then two and a scroll and scroll So I'm not demonizing social media. I'm simply saying we need to be mindful of the fact that so oftentimes we are shaped by it. Here's here's how culture shapes you. And I'm hitting two big ones, okay? Number one, social media. And I think that this topic has grown so tired for folks that they kind of check out when I start talking about it. But church, let me tell you, the modern Identity, it seeks to shape you through what comes across on that screen. Notice you don't get to vote on the algorithm that you receive when you decide to open up the app. It tells you what it wants you to see. In a sense, it's saying, I'm going to shape you. I'm going to shape how you think. I'm going to inform your purchases, which is why you're thinking about buying something online that is completely random. You open your phone and then it shows up in your feed. I just want Jesus to shape how I think about myself more than Mark Zuckerberg. That's all I'm saying. Um, Here's the second thing that culture uses to shape our identity. This has to be said this morning. Okay. You guys ready for it? Pornography. It's, 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 you want to talk about a pandemic. Let's talk about the pandemic of pornography. Because in a modern identity, here's what sex is all about, self-fulfillment. In a gospel identity, sex is about self-giving. And what it does, it creates a forever covenant. And so what you're doing is you're giving not only your body, but you're giving your whole life to someone else. And here's what pornography does. Pornography glorifies self-fulfillment. Because it removes the need for the intensity of real relationship. And here's what happens with pornography. I hit that attention piece. It's played over and over and over again. If you look at the statistics on how often an individual looks at pornography that looks at it regularly, you'd probably be surprised. It's a lot. And what happens over and over? It's the Benedictine monks But it's a different, it's a different method and it's a different message. And then what happens to the mind? What happens to the pictures that are in the mind? It's being, and for some, this is, this is, this is hugely forming. I I believe that the enemy wants to shape people, even Christian people, through pornography. It's hugely forming in the modern identity. And because what it does is it hits that imaginative piece, right? It hits that fantasy piece. And then it hits that attention piece so regularly. And it kicks those endorphins. I mean, it just, there's a lot of things that pornography does to us. And one of the things that it does to us is it makes us extremely impatient in real relationships. So can I speak to the single peoples just for a minute? Let me tell you, one of the best ways that you can prepare your heart for marriage is to stop looking at porn. Because if you don't, you'll become addicted to a fantasy and you'll never be able to embrace reality. I just laid it out there. It was just a little pornography talk right there in the middle of the sermon. All right. I appreciate you guys championing me. I've been talking about hard stuff over the past couple of weeks. If you weren't here for the holiness message in Legacy College, don't listen to it, okay? Because, okay, here's the, here's the, th- here's how we enhance our gospel identity. This is it. I've got, eight, I've got eight. Just write them down. Number one, get baptized. If you want to enhance your gospel identity, here's the first thing you need to do. Get baptized, you know why? Because it is how you identify. Somebody say identity. identity. The first thing you need to do, if you need to bolster your gospel identity, here's the first thing you need to sign up for, baptisms. Because what do baptisms do? They help you to identify. They are how you identify, not only with Christ, but also a church body, a community. Number two. Be in church, be in church, be in church, all right? Get in a family gathering. This helps us, you know, to be reminded of who we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Number three, sing the faith because some words go to the heart. Hey, can I encourage you guys? Sing the lyrics that are on the wall. Don't just watch the people that sing the lyrics that are on the wall. You know why because when you sing it shapes you when you go through a storm what do you think about you don't think about words that you read in a book once upon a time you start singing right that's that's real that's what happens and that's why modern identity uses song so consistently to infiltrate the affections of the heart and shape us in the way that they want us to go all right if you don't think that the enemy can work through music, I feel like I'm, I sound like my mom right now, you know? My mom was such an OG. Let me tell you, if she found rap music, and I love rap music, okay? If she found rap music in my backpack, like yeah, I remember I had a Bone Thugs and Harmony CD, and you know, she would open it up, turn it around, scratch the back of the CD, and then just put it back in the case, fold it up and keep it where, leave it wherever it was. And every now and then, because my grandmother always bought me the CDs and then my mom would find them. And then she would leave a post-it note in there. Oh yeah. Rap crap. She would say something like that. Number four, say the creeds and prayers. All right. What are the creeds? You can Google them. I'm not going to provide them. Look up the apostles creed. That's primary creed, I would encourage you to learn. I'm teaching my kids the Apostles' Creed. I teach them the prayers. Um, I teach them the Lord's Prayer. That's a good prayer to remember. Uh, You can start. Number five is take communion. This is the most tactile connection to Jesus. This is the most tactile connection to Jesus. There's something different about community. Touch it, feel it, taste it, drink it. Next one. Next slide, please. Number six is read and listen to the Bible more than once a day and put yourself in the story. Could I encourage you get on a Bible reading plan if you miss a day? Hey, there's grace, okay? Chill out, calm down. The Bible is still there. Let go of the guilt. The Holy Spirit's ready to meet you today, all right? Just read the next day, all right? Put yourself in the story. Listen to the Bible on your commute. Listen to the Bible, your AirPods. You lay down on the bed. Listen to the Bible. Put yourself in the story. Number seven. And you know, we should probably expose ourselves to the Bible as much as we expose ourselves to social media. Yeah. Yeah. Just a thought. Number seven. And see, you, you, the thought that you just had right there, of, that's impossible. That's the modern identity working. Yeah. Number seven. Pray and daily remind yourself, God is my dad. Number eight, live the gospel. And I I, I realized that is like, what? Live the gospel? Okay, look, every day I want you to think this. If I was a sinner, but I am saved by grace and now a beloved child of God, how should my emotions and actions be different than they are right now? That's eight points for you. If you guys don't mind to stand up, we're gonna close this morning. Nothing shall be impossible with God. Nothing shall be impossible with God. Nothing shall be impossible with God. This may seem like a steep mountain to climb. And you may be thinking, man, all that sounds good, but how am I going to discover the good? How am I going to find the good? You can't. This is the great thing about the gospel church is that God lifts the standards so high that it would be impossible for us in our own strength to achieve or perform or produce our way to holiness and righteousness which is why Jesus paid for all of that through his blood on the cross and he makes it available simply through a confession if anybody if anybody would confess that Jesus is Lord and believe it in their hearts this is what Roman says then they are saved yes. then they are set free of sin yes. they're saved they're delivered They are made into a new creation, means the old self dies and is buried and is put away with Jesus in the grave. And the new self emerges on the third day when the stone was rolled away and Jesus Christ walked out and said, I am the author and the finisher. I am where life flows from. If anybody is thirsty, come to me and drink. If anybody is weary, let them put my burden, my yoke, which is easy and light upon themselves. Take it off. If you'll take some of this, some of this Holy Spirit that I have for you. It's Jesus talking. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. This is, a, this is just the inheritance of a new creation, church. And none of it is the result of your hard work. Isn't that freeing? You can have a stable and secure identity today right now in this moment. If you don't mind, everybody just close your eyes, bow your heads for a minute. If you're in here today and you need to renegotiate some things and it's time for you to do a little business with God, I'm just gonna create some space right now for you to come to Jesus. If that's you and you're thinking about that right now and you're like, that's me. I just want you to lift your hand right now. I wanna pray for you if you need to come home today. I see you. Awesome. See you. Great. Amazing. Awesome. I see you. Amazing. If that's you, I see you. Great. I just want you to just know that right now, today is the day of your salvation. You don't have to wait another day to exchange the old self for the new self. Today, Jesus meets you. And we pray with you all together as a church. If you lifted your hands, repeat these words after me. They're not a magic trick. You have to provide the words, the meaning. But from your heart, repeat these words after me. I'm just here to help. Jesus, I repent of my sins and I receive your blood. What you did on the cross for my salvation, it is finished. I am made new. I confess that you are Savior and you are Lord. Fill me, Holy Spirit, Renew my mind. All my days are just for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen and amen. Come on. Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at legacynashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.